everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 95 of the show, where we are beginning our journey through the summer month of June 1965. And guess what, Mike? What? It's annuals. It is annuals. Two annuals. Yeah. As we read them and prepared for the show, we realized the annuals were kind of thin. So uh, we may have some other comics, depending on what the time looks like, we finish talking about the annuals. But we are going to yeah, be starting. So, with- so we did lie about last week's homework. And as we go along, we'll let you know what we you should pause and go read if you like to read along first. Mm-hmm. But we'll get there when we get there because the annuals are first. Think of it like the earlier issue episodes where you never knew what was going to happen until it actually happened. <laughs> right. Annuals are so annoying. They just wreck everything. So we're going to begin with a journey into mystery, which uh-huh. has its first annual in 1965 mm-hmm. with the mighty Thor. And uh, who's doing this one? You are. Oh, okay. <laughs> so this is all new Thor versus Hercules, right? Right, right. So we've got um, splash page of Thor versus Hercules. And Hercules is not completely off model from what he's going to be later. He's just uh-huh. not. I mean, he's like a more simple, reasonable facsimile of his later self. He's the mostly mighty, the same, right? Yeah, I mean, more or less the same. Yeah. Mighty story by Stan Lee. Majestic art by Jack Kirby. Masterful inking by Vince Coletta. Mostly lettered by Sam Rosen. Or is that moistly letter? It could be moistly. It's hard to read. It's in handwriting. (laughs) So sometime in the distant past, Mm -hmm. when Thor and Loki were riding through the lands of Jotunheim, putting down storm giants, helping them, you know, get in line and submit to Asgard, they realized that a bunch of storm giants were digging in the ground near the hidden lost passage that leads to Olympus. It's like, no, no, no. These storm giants can't be allowed to find Olympus. Got to stop them. So Thor jumps in, starts fighting him. And Loki kind of skadooshes away secretly. And while Thor is fighting the bad guys, he stumbles through some rocks and suddenly he's falling in a tunnel, like, like Alice going down to Wonderland. And he finds himself in Olympus in the land of the Greek myths, satyrs, fauns, naiads, dryads, all those things I first heard about reading the Narnia books. And he's <laughs> walking along. He's like, okay, this is pretty cool. Here's a river. I'm going to cross this river. There's a stone bridge here. And then on the other side of the river is a man in a, a green skirt and sash saying, hold on, don't cross the river yet. Hercules is going to cross the river. And Thor's like, no, Thor's going to cross the river. Hercules is like, no, Hercules is going to cross the river. And they're like, okay, let's fight. And they fight, and they stop fighting, and that's the end of the story. (laughs) Sort of, yeah. (laughs) I mean, really, the rest of the book, the rest of the story is them fighting. Eventually, Zeus shows up and is like, hey, y'all stop fighting, kids. And Hercules is like, yo, dad. And Thor's like, oh, that's Zeus. He's like Odin, but Greek. He's like bows to him. Hey, my, my father is a sovereign Lord God also. So I'm going to bow to you and give you the respect you deserve. And Zeus is like, cool. So um, I'm going to send you back to Asgard. You're you're pretty chill. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be great. So he zaps Thor back to Asgard. Thor goes up through the tunnel, pops out of the hole in the ground, sees Loki Loki's like, yeah, I was just, I was just going for help, you know? Mm -hmm. So they wonder what to do about the opening to Olympus, but like the ground around Olympus like collapses in and then raises up. So there's this like mountain covering the tunnel to Olympus and no one can get there. And so Thor and Loki ride off into the sunset together like brothers. And it's the end. It's a shortened story and it's a very simple plot. Uh, And it's Hercules. I don't know. It is the first appearance of Hercules. It's exciting. Not just Hercules, but a whole new pantheon of, or, you know, whatever the right word is for mythology for, uh, you know, the Marvel Universe. Because they haven't ever admitted that the Olympians are are real, just like the Norse gods. other gods gods exist besides the Norse gods. Right. Now there's this whole new thing. 
this is the thing that's going to be kind of kind of interesting because Marvel will acknowledge that some form of the various religious pantheons exists for each of them in the Marvel universe. I remember in Secret Invasion, all the different pantheons like sent emissaries to team up in a little team of gods to go fight some scrolls. Um so yeah, but this is the first of those other than the Asgardians, the first other gods we get. Mhm. And I was like, you know, when I was a kid it was all about uh the Greek gods and I didn't really know anything about Norse gods until I started reading Marvel comics and Thor and knowing that 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 existed, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know, Greek gods always seemed more common to me and more familiar. Um I don't I think know if that's just, true of everybody, but I think the Greco-Roman myth has taken mm-hmm. a larger role in Western culture. Now, mm-hmm. Norse myth definitely does prevail in like an undercurrent in a lot of our fantasy um, genre and myth. That Thursday, yeah, a lot of our stuff comes from Norse. Yeah, like our names of our days: mm-hmm. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday are all named after Norse personages right i think it's interesting that they or thor calls it the ancient legend but they did know there's a hole that theoretically leads to olympus and no one's ever like jumped in it or checked it out yeah so this almost comes off feeling like a what if story like kind of huh what if thor did visit olympus so do you think that was the intention like they had no no thoughts of like ever having hercules come back and be a mainstay at all um, I mean, they sort of close it off at the end. So yeah, it feels like this is a one and done kind of thing. Yeah. What if Thor met Hercules? They're both, you know, they're gods, strong, most strong people. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's unfortunately that it's just a fight, but it is a fun fight. But like, you know, what do you say about it? Um, uh, 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 yeah, they both have their hammer and their mace and they trade blows and Thor has never been hit so hard or never been able to never hit somebody so hard. And the guy just gets back up again. And, you know, Hercules is like his equal. It's pretty cool. It's almost more equal than the Hulk fight was. Yeah, it actually does seem like a, almost a better fight, doesn't it? And I've always been a fan of Hercules. I mean, this Hercules is just a little more like, like you said, kind of like a, what if they meet Hercules, but eventually he's going to have a, more boisterous personality, which I have always... He Hercules reminds me of... I don't know. Let's do a Star Trek analogy thing. But you know how, like, Worf is a really great Klingon, except for the part where he doesn't know how to enjoy being a Klingon? Right. And they're always like, that's one of the biggest aspects of being a Klingon, is they know how to party, and you just suck at partying, Worf. And I kind of feel like that's how Hercules and Thor are. Like, Thor is more like Worf, and Hercules is like the guy who actually knows how to enjoy being a god. Um has fun with it. So in some ways it's like fun when he's on the Avengers or whatever, cause he's sort of comic relief and, but still very powerful, of course. And we get, um, we get Jotunheim at the beginning. And I don't know if that's the first time we've had that name, but Jotunheim where the storm giants dwell. That's like, that's a, a, a link of two concepts that I don't know if we've firmly had before. So it's kind of nice to see them here. Although, you know, coming into Thor comics, I have the Thor movie in the back of my head. So I expect these giants to be, you know, I know giant right. ice creatures, and they're just you know beards with legs, right? Well, we were already told by our expert that you know the Norse gods were supposed to be giant too, right? Or something? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So their giant thing was not really all that giant because everybody was all giant, and now in Marvel it's like no, Thor is our size, and then there's giants. So the fact that they're descended from giants has seems to not matter too much, right? Which is good for Hercules, because otherwise Thor would be a giant, which would suck for him. And of course, Loki disappears. Loki disappears. You want to know what's interesting, not to skip to the end, but Thor lies. Isn't Thor not supposed to lie? That's like its thing, honor and code and never lying. But he's like, I don't remember what happened. Sorry, Loki. But he totally remembers what happened. He just doesn't want to say. Yeah, I didn't want to tell Loki. Yeah. I don't know if he can never tell a lie. I just think he's not telling his brother something that would be... Yeah. He's supposed to keep it secret. Well, he says my memory grows dim. So I guess you could argue that everybody's memory grows dim after five seconds of experiencing <laughs> something. So it's not really a lie, I guess. But their entire reason for fighting was just ego. Like uh-huh. unreasoning ego, lack of manners, boys being boorish. So it's kind of a weird reason to fight. There's not a like you're rooting for Thor because he's Thor, but you're not rooting for Thor because he's right. 
In fact, I feel like he started the fight because the guy's like, Hercules is like, actually, I'm trying to cross right now. And Thor's like, no, I wait for no man. That's, you know, you're in this guy's land. Maybe you should be like, cool, stranger, go ahead and, and uh, pass the bridge. Yeah. But he's being kind of arrogant and weird here. Usually he's a little more honorable than that. So, they yeah. Do the whole th- they do the whole thing in this where the grass is a carpet again. Grass which, is a carpet. It you know. almost it almost looks like Hercules wields the hammer, but they, they word it in a way where it's more like he just redirected it, not actually lifted it. Right. But it sure looks like he just tossed it. And I got to thinking, like, why wouldn't Hercules be worthy? He's very Thor-like in terms of, you know doing adventure and being a hero and being strong and the best. Like that seems like an Odin definition of worthy is Hercules, right? I kind of feel like Hercules is very similar to Thor before he gets sent to earth. In mm, the, the yeah. movie, movie Thor, I should specify movie yeah. Thor before he gets sent to earth. I feel is very Hercules. Okay. That could be too arrogant. Plus yeah. he has that whole, like his wife and kids were murdered and it's his fault thing, but I'm not really sure how that story plays out in the Marvel universe. Hercules's wife and kids were murdered. Isn't that why he had to do those tests or whatever? Because he was, or he accidentally, I don't know what the story is. We need to get a Greek expert now because. Oh, the 12 labors of Hercules? Yeah, the 12 labors was a punishment because of something that happened to his family that was his fault or something. So maybe that's what makes him not worthy. I I, I know there were 12 labors. I don't remember there being a reason. I'm sure there were. There was because it was a story. But you said hmm. wife and kids getting murdered. My brain immediately went to Punisher. And so I'm like, Punisher's doing. <laughs> Yes, Hercules is the original Punisher. They just totally ripped him off. <laughs> I don't he have a whole around. lot else to say about this. I mean, it was, it was a fight. No, I know. It's a really yeah. thin story. It's fun to see Hercules. And we. it's fun because we know that Hercules is going to do something more. I think if they never used Hercules again, this would feel kind of like a waste of an annual. It is kind of a – what do you think – I feel like maybe I've asked you this before, but what do you think of annuals in general? Because I kind of just never really think they're great for I, some reason. I want them to be more special than they are. Usually are, right. Usually they're just like this or there's some sort of tie into a crossover I didn't read because I only collected so many issues when I was a kid. So it's like, like this weird interruption in my story. The crossovers when we were kids were were fun because they went from different characters, but they ultimately were throwaway stories. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was neat to see Daredevil and Captain America and The Punisher have a crossover between those three series and the annuals. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, the story didn't matter to either Captain America or Daredevil or the Punisher. Or even things like like Atlantis Attacks, right? That ran through annuals or something like uh-huh. that. Like to me, I wasn't collecting all those books, nor was I going to because I'm, you know, 14 and I have $2 to spend this month. So I'm buying the, the one thing that matters and that's just derailing the story that I was reading last month and I don't know who all these other people are and I never know how it ended and it's kind of unsatisfying. It's just like like this thing you have to deal with. If you're reading based on a subscription, you don't get the annual in your subscription. So Uh if they are going to tie it into the actual monthly continuity, you would actually be missing a chapter. But then you do that if you're getting crossovers anyway. So I don't know if that really matters that much. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I often go into annuals looking forward to a special story and usually getting something or often getting something that feels less. So I feel like the fantastic four one we covered or a couple we covered were pretty good. Well, yeah, these early ones are kind of different. I mean, I'm I'm talking more like, you know, from the 1990 going forward. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. These early ones, a lot of them are really cool one-off stories that actually are important that fit into the monthly continuity in a, in a, in an odd way. Um, Neither of that is, that we're covering tonight fit into well, that category. <laughs> well, I'm trying to remember what we've covered. So we've done two Fantastic Four and a Spider-Man, right? Is that about it? Yeah. So Namor coming into the New York for that the was first a big time. One. That was a Doctor big one. Doctor Doom in Latveria for the first time. Mm-hmm. The Sinister then, Six. Oh, it wasn't Human Torch versus Spider-Man or something? Oh, yeah. There's that, that too. Is that an annual? Yeah, that was an annual. That was a pretty blah annual. So I think this is probably the most weak sauce annual we've covered on the show, I think. It's pretty eh. It's okay. Well, I enjoyed this one a lot more than the Strange Tales annual, but it is not important well, to the ongoing Thor story. At least the Strange Tales annual, like, you could argue has some sort of uh, 
uh, uh, additions to their re- weird, strained, fun, friend, enemy relationship. Whereas this doesn't even really do that. It's just like, oh, you're strong? Well, I'm strong too. We are best friends now. Goodbye. Oh, you know what? Like, from a perspective of, like, not knowing what's going to come later with Hercules, yeah, you're right. This feels very throwaway. Like, I buy this and it's just like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, that happened. Yeah. I think Hercules' next appearance is going to be way more fun, if I recall, because I think I've read it. Uh, but we'll see. It's in the Avengers, but I'm just not sure which issue he comes along in. I think okay. John Buscema is drawing it by then. So, um, I don't know. There's then a bunch of other stuff, but it's yeah, all like stuff we've covered. We can we've talk covered. briefly about the other stuff. Mm-hmm. We have a two-page spread of Kirby drawing Asgard. A da- a, what does they call it? They call it a... Uh, an Asgard, a typical Asgard street scene. I kind of liked how they described it. Like it's not, they're not focusing on, you know, Odin's castle or anything. It's just like, this is what it looks like when you walk to Kmart in Asgard. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty epic still, but. There's a warlock's haven. There's a warrior's walk. There's a tree of life monument. There's a giant statue of a warrior monument to the unknown warrior. There's a weapons museum and a hall of heroes. And a bunch of people just go into the mall in armor. Let me just put you on the spot now, because you're a guy who's read, like, you know, New Gods and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Is this, like, kind of a precursor to that idea? Because it looks very science fiction-y versus yeah, mythological. This is, this is Kirby sci-fi. Um, yeah. This is definitely the, the side of his creativity is going to come out more whenever he does New Gods and Fourth World yeah, type stuff. Yeah, that's what reminded me. But all these tubes and stuff kind of reminded me of DC's New Gods and Apocalypse and stuff like that. If you swapped out the labels and gave all these things uh, New Genesis labels, it would work. <laughs> right. That exactly. could be High Father instead of the Unknown Warrior. Right. Maybe the Unknown Warrior is the High Father, and he just went to back to his own universe. Whoa. Oh, my gosh. I just I just canoned that. You're welcome. <laughs> um, but it's and a then we have a bunch of reprints. spread, which is not oh. super common. That's true. And it's beautiful. Go Kirby. Yep. I miss things like this. I feel like they don't do things like this anymore. These designs and like, here's Spider-Man's web shooters or here's his apartment or here's Asgard's typical day on the street. I don't know. It's kind of fun. Old stuff they used to do that they don't do anymore. They also don't fill entire annuals with reprints anymore. Yeah. So then that's all the rest, right? There's nothing else new in this. No, there's the first Loki story from uh, Journey to Mystery 85. There's a house ad about all of the different Marvel titles and how they all have the Marvel cover trademark at the top left. Um, there's Thor versus the Radioactive Man from Journey into Mystery 93. That one's not bad. And Oh, the Demon Duplicator? Why are they reprinting the Demon Duplicator? That's nuts. Uh, yeah, Journey into Mystery 95. That was a horrible story, if I recall correctly. Um, and then... The Lava Man, that wasn't bad. 97. There's another really- house ad for the, all the annuals. They advertise that Sergeant Fury and Fantastic Four and Marvel Tales are also getting annuals in addition to Amazing Spider-Man. Kind of interesting they went so like far back for all this. But I guess that's the point of a reprint because you could buy the new ones still. But Yeah. Yeah, 97 is the most recent. And 97 was, what, 20 plus issues ago? I so mean, two, just flipping. Two years ago? Flipping through these stories real fast, they're all coming back to me. And this was just his very, like, Superman era, which we aren't really getting anymore. Now he feels much more like Thor. But, like, when I was reading these, it was all, like, Superman feats. And they're just Mm -hmm. trying to make him Superman. That's gone now. Because now he talks like Thor and he fights like Thor. And there's a lot of God stuff. So shall we move on to our next annual? Yeah. So that's first journey into mystery down. We sounded so excited about it. Uh, Moving on to... The Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 2, The Wondrous Worlds of Doctor Strange, plus three of Spidey's earliest, greatest, most requested full-length epics. 72 big pages. It's called, the one that we care about, it's called The Wondrous World of Doctor Strange, like I already said. It's written and edited by the Toast of Marvel, Stan Lee, plotted and drawn by the Boast of Marvel, Steve Ditko, lettered and bordered by the Ghost of Marvel, Sam Rosen. And this one has another one of those captions where Stan Lee, like, throws Steve Ditko under the bus and doesn't want to claim the story. So this could be called our Be Nice to Steve Ditko issue. He wanted to feature a really offbeat yarn for Spidey's annual, and Steve Arino dreamed this one up. The fact that he also draws Doc Strange may have had something to do with it. So, ready or not, here we go. So that's how they start the, the issue. 
Um, and it starts with this ominous uh, looking dude who's walking around the seedy part of town and he goes into a bar and there's a bar fight and there's these two guys. One guy looks exactly like the Sandman except he's got a cauliflower ear like down to the green striped shirts and everything. <laughs> and the other guy looks like the Sandman's worst brother who likes to dress in all black. And these two guys, I think they were in like a bet to see if they could just beat up everybody in the bar and they won. So the ominous stranger guy's like, yep, that's who I'm looking for. You will obey me. And they laugh. And he's like, no, for reals. My name is Zandu, and I command you to obey. And they go, yes, Zandu, we must obey. So he's a spell guy, and he puts them under a trance. And he gives them the power to be very strong and very invulnerable. Then he tells them to, or he takes them back to his lair, where he transforms to a more, um, you know, swashbuckly Doctor Strange bad guy type with the cape and stuff. And he talks about this thing called the Wand of Watum. And apparently it's a two-part wand. He has one part. The other part is owned by Doctor Strange, who fished it out of an alternate dimension and keeps it somewhere secure. So he sends Sandman and, not really Sandman, but Sandman and his brother... To confront Doctor Strange, they bust through the front door before he can, or he tries to like fool them by using one of those spells that make 28 different Doctor Stranges. But Xandu is also uh, not physically following along, but doing that Mordo thing where like his eyeballs are floating around behind him and stuff. So he can sense which is the real Doctor Strange. He tells his thugs, they knock him out with a big super punch. He's unconscious. Then Xandu tells them, search the place. They go punching around. They finally find a closet or, you know, locker room, something. They open it up and the other half of the wand of Watum is there. And so they grab it. Um, meanwhile, this whole time, Spider-Man's been patrolling around. And he's bored because there's nothing going on. But he sees what looks like the Sandman and Sandman's brother lumbering out of a sky or, you know, the on a roof or something like the uh, the skylight. And he's like, well, that's weird. So he goes to confront him, confront them. And Xandu and his floating eyeballs are like, kill Spider-Man. So they start fighting him. And he finds out very quickly that even his strongest, um, you know, spider punches aren't hurting these guys. So something weird's going on. They start kicking his butt. Um, they're like ripping his web. He's like completely outmatched and they eventually knock him out. And then Xandu's like, okay, come back home now. You're cool. Um, as they're walking away, the, the beat up Spider-Man struggles to like stay conscious just long enough to throw one of his spider tracers on Sandman's leg. Uh, they make it back home. He puts the wand together and now he has unlimited power. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, um, um, and then what happens? Oh, and then Spider-Man shows up because, you know, he woke up and he's got Spider-Man recovery powers. So he confronts Xandu and Xandu's like, no, I don't want to fight you. Another dimension, Dragon Ball Z style. So he like opens up a little portal and Spider-Man's falling through. But as he falls through, he goes twip and takes <laughs> the wand with him. So Xandu's like, ah, so Xandu sends the two thugs into the alternate dimension so Spider-Man and the two thugs are in this Steve Ditko-esque alternate dimension, meaning lots of floating objects, no ups, no right side up or upside down or places to really stand or do anything. Very much like the end of, uh, you know, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. And they get into a big fight. Uh, Doctor Strange finally wakes up because he's just a human. So it took him longer. And he starts tracing using his uh, Eye of Agamamamas, the two uh, amulet to, to like follow the footprints of the thugs that gets him back to Zandu. He confronts Zandu. They both do cool Steve Ditko, you know, shooting energy beam things. Um, Zandu brings back the thugs and Spider-Man grabs onto them to get a ride back to Zandu gets hold of the wand. I can't remember. Oh, Dr. Strange recognizes it, knows what it is, says, oh, I can't fight this. So he goes into his ectoplasmic form and tries to find Spider-Man because Spider-Man is off fighting these two thugs still. So uh, Doctor Strange uses his ectoplasmic form. He can't communicate directly with Spider-Man who's living and stuff, but he can whisper in his ear that these guys are vulnerable to electricity. So Spider-Man thinks that's his own idea and he pulls electricity wire out of the wall in the alley they're fighting in and shocks them. That kind of snaps them back to reality and then they just don't even know what they're doing and they go away. Uh, then 
Spider-Man goes back to the front Xandu and Doctor Strange joins him and they kind of like do this like stick and move thing where they're both like on opposite ends of the room and he can't concentrate on both because even if you have unlimited power, if you suck at fighting, you suck at fighting. So Xandu's like, oh, you guys are overwhelming me. I don't know what to do. And then Spider-Man webs up his hand. So he drops the wand and basically he's defeated at that point. Um, Doctor Strange decides that the wand is too powerful and sucks all the energy out of it. So instead of just putting it back in that cabinet or that locker room, he takes it away and then they part ways and Spider-Man says, may your amulet never tickle. The end. So this is a pretty uh, interesting issue of Marvel team up. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. I liked it. It was fun. Yeah. Uh, It's not a bad story. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely Ditko doing Ditko's two characters. Um, it is one of those that feels very throwaway. Well, I was thinking it's definitely more a Doctor Strange story than a Spider-Man story. Right. Which is one of those things about Marvel Team-Up is a lot of times it feels like the other character's story that Spider-Man just happens to be in. But it's not just a Doctor Strange story because it's primarily about Doctor Strange and Doctor Strange problems. But like it's also more a Doctor Strange story because we don't get any fun other characters or things to grab onto or drama. It's just like this sort of one note evil magician trying to be the evilest of evil magicians and Doctor Strange has to stop him, which is totally a Doctor Strange story. And meanwhile, we have nothing that makes a Spider-Man story cool, really, other than he shows up. Right. So... When this takes place, as anyone's guess, we are right in the middle of a continued story that has already been going for several issues and is going to continue going for several more. Um, I imagine this would probably oh, yeah. be put somewhere before it, but it doesn't really matter too much. No. Um, Zandu is kind of useless in this. He does come back usually with something to do with the Wand of Watum and usually in some sort of Spider-Man, Doctor Strange team-up story. Huh. Um, we find out later that he wants the wand because the power that it gives him will help him bring his wife back to life. Okay. Well, now we're talking. There's motivation. Yeah. Not in this issue, but it does come no. eventually. Her, His wife is currently in this weird between life and death state, and he's trying to find a way to save her. Yeah, does not mean he's a good guy. Do not, do not let no. that fool you. He's still a terrible guy, especially to his wife, but that's what he's doing. That's the thing about Doctor Strange. There's been a lot of like, you know, dark force users and their whole motivation is just that they want power and more power. We right. don't really get like why. So after a while, these all kind of become white noise to me. Like this guy doesn't stand out any more than anybody else really. Um, There's nothing in this that ties into Spider-Man's continuity. There's not a single dropped line about, you know, any of his characters, even Aunt May or the Daily Bugle or anything. I really wish he would have made a comment about how this guy dresses just like Sandman, though. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> but I've often thought that Spawn has a combination of Spider-Man and Doctor Strange in, in his basic look oh. and silhouette. So you think Todd McFarlane was like, I really like Ditko. I'm just going to combine his two biggest characters. Either consciously or unconsciously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you've got the cape. Mm-hmm. And it's very much a Doctor Strange cape. But then mm-hmm. you also have all the chains that are reminiscent of Spider-Man's webs going everywhere. Yeah. But um but yeah, this is this is the second annual. I don't like it as much as the first or the third. <laughs> what was the first? See uh, Sinister Six. So what was the Oh, so the Spider-Man Human Torch was a Strange some Tales. Other Strange Tales annual. Oh, okay. Right, right. That makes sense. Oh yeah, Spider-Man Sinister Six was the- way better. Yeah. Yeah. And also longer. This is a this is a standard size story in an annual size book. Yeah. Same with Thor. Do you think they were just like phoning these in or something? I don't know. Uh it may have been a time crunch. They wanted to have more annuals out there, but did they actually have the time to make the stories? I don't know. Why do they have to put an annual out? Is there some sort of legal reason or are they just like the money? I'm sh- sure it's a sales thing. Yeah. I don't know. Someone in the magazine business talk about annuals. Do they still do Well, you that? pay somebody for uh, 20, page, 20 pages of work, but then you charge 25 cents for the book. Because you fill it with stuff that you've already paid for. Right. Yeah. Speaking of, so the rest of the book, we have... Well, that was just the only other thing I was going to say on the story oh, is sorry. that I really liked Spider-Man in the Doctor Strange world. Uh-huh. Like that panel of him on 
page 12, where he first uh-huh. gets transported to Doctor Strange uh-huh. world, is pretty great. Well, I do think it's nice that um, he adds a little humor and a little more like um, street to this otherwise otherworldly stuff, otherworldly otherworldly stuff we read in Doctor Strange. Right. I, even the thugs did the same thing, and those thugs I think only exist to give something for Spider Man to do because he can't fight a magician. So I don't know. Yeah, that worked for me. I liked the I liked the team up on there, and would like to see another one. Do you think the floating globes in Doctor Strange's world are like uh, in Super Mario Galaxy? That as you walk around them, you're always it's always down. I don't know. I don't know why there's so many Doctor Strange dimensions where like you can't possibly like physical laws just don't seem to exist. Neither do floors. Floors, ceilings, gravity. I don't know. It looks cool. Don't get me wrong. That's like really his specialty in a way, like this kind of stuff. But And to have Spider-Man in it, yeah, that actually is pretty kind of neat because he doesn't get to do this in Spider-Man very much over the top things. But yeah, you were saying what else is in this one? Um, Then there is the original Spider-Man number one. The whole with the John Jameson shuttle. The John Jameson. They even put it in the rocket. They could have cut that out, maybe, but they didn't. Spider Man number two with um, what's that guy's name? The fixer or the tinkerer? Tinkerer. Or tinkerer. Yeah, the alien. And we still never really figured out what the heck happened there. Uh, and then there's pinups that are original to the annual, which I think are cool. Circus of Crime, the Scorpion, the Beetle, the Beetle. Isn't he – oh, introduced in Spider-Man number 21. You know what? I actually thought he was a Human Torch villain, but that's because he came later. Uh, he was uh, a Human Torch villain first. Oh, so he's not introduced in Spider-Man number 21. They lied. No, that's a weird, that's a, that's a weird phrasing because it's explicitly incorrect. Yeah. So it's kind of weird for him to be in here, I guess. But anyway, Jonas, Robot, and the Crime Master. So those are like – I assume they did this in the last annual, and these are like the latest stuff they introduced. Exactly. The, the latest uh, this villains. This is the, the rogue of new villains that have come about since the last annual. And uh, notice that Jonah's robot is called Jonah's robot. The word spider slayer is a later invention mm-hmm. that gets like retroactively applied to this thing. And it wasn't even Jonah's robot, but it kind of is because his face is on it. So yeah, I mean, he was using it. And then there is more print, more reprint of Spider-Man number five versus Dr. Doom. And I think that's it, right? Yeah, we get a house uh, ad for all the different titles, just like we had in the other annual. Um, and I'm just flipping through page with this um, Doctor Doom annual story. And that's it. This is the yep. one where Flash Thompson dressed up as Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four show up at the end. So kind of cool, really early. I guess, is this the first five issues? That's kind of neat, right? Anyway. Yeah, but that's uh, that's basically the Spider-Man annual. Neither one of those was was super fantastic. Um mm-hmm. I think, like I said, they were designed to be a, a, a way of getting some product out there to make a little extra money without, you know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think the uh, – for me, if I was a kid, I think The Amazing Spider-Man would at least be cool because of the pinups. I don't know. That's kind of neat. Thor yeah. didn't even do pinups. Thor should have done pinups. It is neat to see Spider-Man and Doctor Strange teaming up. I love seeing the mm-hmm. Ditko boys together. Mm-hmm. It's just not a great story. Um, yeah, it's pretty. It's just a pretty straightforward Doctor Strange story, really. Right. Yeah. And a lot of Doctor Strange's nemeses are forgettable. Totally. Um, and this, all of them. Yeah, except I mean, Mordo, Nightmare, and Dormammu, and Baron oh, Mordo. That's it. Yep. The three Those we already three. knew about coming in. Right. Yep. Um, okay, so we're now at the point where we lied last week and said we're done because we're not done because we're only like 35 minutes in. So if you guys want to read along, pause, go read Journey into Mystery number 119 real fast, and then come back and we'll be here because that's what we're going to talk about right now. Journey into Mystery 119. Now, this is um, this is the month of June. The annuals uh-huh. came out on June 1st. Uh-huh. And the uh oh the monthlies did too. So both of these annuals and this issue were all June first, nineteen sixty-five. Now I obviously have the hiccups, so let's see how long they last <laughs> during my synopsis here. Um the cover of this is odd for a couple of reasons. Uh-huh. There's no cover art. All the art is just panels from the inside of the book. Boy, it really makes you think between the two annuals we just covered and this, like they were in a time crunch for some reason. Something. Something's going on this month. But also the somewhat infamous 
of brand up in the top left, Marvel Pop Art Productions. Wow. Which uh, this is explained in the um, Stanley Soapbox, or I don't think they have the Stanley Soapbox yet, but the the Bullpen Bulletins, uh-huh. that comic books were considered too childish of a term. Oh. But pop art. In popular art was like a sort of modern term in the 60s. And so these were going to be considered pop art productions. Mm. I think they even sought legal name change to their company name. Wow. But it doesn't last very long. I think it's like four or five months and without any fanfare or terminology. They just go back to calling him comics. Well, I remember in the 90s, he did one of those soapboxes things and his thing was spell comic books is one word if it was their comic books as opposed to a book that's comic comic book so that's weird that's where he went instead of pop art but either way it's like okay whatever and just looking i'm scrolling through thor issues to see how many issues have pop art in the book it is exactly four yeah there are four issues with this so for four months they're pop art productions and then it goes i thought it said Pop-Tart at first, so I was like, wow, Pop-Tarts were way back then, huh? Advertise it on the corner. And I think you just gave the episode its title. <laughs> Pop-Tart? <laughs> Marvel Pop-Tarts presents? Marvel Pop-Tart Productions. <laughs> yeah. All right, we are in the day of the Destroyer. Who but Stan Lee could have written this tape? Who but Jack Kirby could have drawn it? Who but Vince Coletta could have inked it? And who but Artie Simic could be called Artie Simic? That's a good point. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, he's the only one. Mm-hmm. So we're picking up in the middle of the action. Um, the mind-staggering menace created countless ages ago by Odin himself, the Destroyer. His purpose is to save mankind from some future foe if he's needed. But accidentally, the Destroyer is brought to life too soon, and the foe he faces is the mighty Thor. <laughs> now, yeah. unlike the um, the movie rendition of this... The Destroyer is brought to life by someone coming near to the inert form of the Destroyer, and then that person's consciousness, in essence, is transferred into the Destroyer. Right. So some human found this temple and uh, found the Destroyer and is now controlling its body or inhabiting its body. Because the whole idea was it was like some weapon Odin left behind for us humans in case we ever needed it, right? So a human right. soul has to power it or something, exactly. if I recall correctly. For some future dis- devastating day. Mm-hmm. But now the Destroyer has been woken prematurely. Mm-hmm. And as we open the book, he is bl- blasting Thor with his hand blasts. But just as the energy is reaching Thor, something else happens to him and it becomes intangible and invisible. So the uh, blast from the Destroyer does not hurt him. And now the Destroyer can't touch him. I don't think he's invisible, actually, because Destroyer continues to attack him, but to no avail. Mm-hmm. Um, Thor um, skitches through the floor and finds himself solid again. He's in this castle dungeon trying to figure out what he's going to use to stop the super powerful Destroyer. Meanwhile, back in Asgard in the dungeon of No Escape, which is right next to the dungeon of Yes Escape. <laughs> Um, If only they put him in the right one. Right? Um, Loki has passed (laughs) out. They find him in his cell. He wakes up uh, exulting in the fact that he saved Thor. He's the one that made Thor unsolid to protect him from getting killed by the uh, Destroyer. Um, Because um, evidently all of his antics against Thor, he doesn't want Thor to actually die. Because if (sighs) Odin finds out that Loki killed Thor... It'd be bad, or maybe it's just right now while Odin's asleep. He doesn't want Odin to wake up and find Thor dead and blame Loki. Yeah, we're going to have to put a pin in that one, because I got some questions. So Odin is currently going through what's going to later be known as the Odin sleep. It's like once a he has to sleep for a day to revive his beard or something. Um, Loki realizes that he should go and find help from the Norn Queen, because she's been his uh, ally in the past. Meanwhile, um, Thor 
is facing off with a destroyer who's like turning the floor into lava. So Thor starts hopping from the bed to the couch to the nightstand because floor is lava, you know, throw the cushions on the floor and hop around, but you can't actually touch the floor because it's lava. Mm -hmm. Um, He turns around to the destroyer and says, hey, I'm done running. You stay right there while I run up here and set up this trap for you. Um, But the trap does not go well. He tries to push some stonework down on the destroyer, but the destroyer just knocks it off. Um, So Thor's like, oh, I guess I'm going to keep running again. He finds the body of the mortal that is controlling the destroyer, and he carries the body to the destroyer. And the destroyer, okay, you know those sunglasses that fit over your regular glasses and they flip up? (laughs) So the destroyer has one of those, has this visor. Mm-hmm. That flips up. And if he flips it down, it's like a blast visor. And so instead of his like face opening up like it does in the movie, he's got this little plate that flips down in front of his face. And they can shoot stuff with that plate. So um, he's going to shoot Thor, but Thor has his mortal body. So it's kind of a standoff. Um, Thor, are you going to let yourself kill a person by holding that person's body as I blast you? And Thor's like, well, Destroyer, are you going to kill your mortal body by blasting me while I'm holding it? So they're both like trying to figure out who's going to who's gonna move first. Uh, meanwhile, Loki goes to Carnilla, the Norn quit, who, and like asks her for her his help, asks her for her help to try to keep Thor from being destroyed by the Destroyer. She wakes up Odin. Odin's like, oh, man, that was a good sleep. Um, wait a second. Thor's fighting the Destroyer. I totally made that destroyer to be stronger than Thor. Thor is going to lose. How am I going to do this? Back on Earth, destroyer gives in and he sends his consciousness back inside his mortal body. And Thor's like, ha ha ha, now you're here. And guy's like, yeah, you can't stop me though. I'm just going to put myself back in the destroyer and then I can kill you. And Thor's like, no, you're not going to do it. I'm going to knock you down. And he uh, grabs the guy, knocks down the temple. And they get out, and Odin is like, oh, Thor's pretty cool. Pretty proud of him. And um, Loki, you uh, have done lots of dastardly things, yet you're still my son, so I can't just kill you. So I'm going to send you to be the servant of Ularic, my royal warlock. You will labor Mm -hmm. for him until it pleases me to release you. So um, uh, Loki has to go put on servant's clothes and work for the warlock. Thor's like, okay. And set that guy free because he was trying to kill me as a destroyer, but he's really just a human. He's kind of useless. Oh, but wait a second. There was that one panel last issue where the destroyer total blasted my hammer, and now my hammer doesn't work right. I try to fly with it, and it's all warbly and wobbly. And um, so instead of flying with my hammer, I'm going to fly with this Nornstone because he still has the Nornstones from Loki from, like, the Trial of the Gods, what, three issues ago now? Mm-hmm. And one of them can help him fly, and so he uses it to fly off to um, find out if he can, you know, get some sort of final reckoning with Loki. He's going to go back to Asgard. Meanwhile, Loki is doing menial labor for a warlock, and um, he's not happy. So that's the end of that story. And my God, I wish these hiccups would go away, because (laughs) I have not had a case of hiccups this persistent in years. Sure enough, while I'm podcasting, there they are. I guess I could have summarized this for you, but it was kind of amusing to listen to you. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. So, yeah, and that was the first fight with the Destroyer. So, this is also, I mean, I don't know if this is the end end, but is this kind of the end of the whole Trial of the Gods story arc, or is there more to it? Because it seems like it's wrapped up. Um. Well, I, mean, I think it's, I don't think it's the end of the narrative, because okay. he's got, he's, Loki's being punished, but... Thor is still trying to figure out what's going on. He has to fix his hammer now, and he's still trying to figure out how to pin things on Loki. He's got the Norn stones, and he's flying back to Asgard. So we're probably going to pick up directly from him next issue. I don't remember exactly how it plays out. Well, he said he's going to go look for a forge to fix his hammer, so I assume that's the next step. Right. So is that an actual issue, or is that going to happen between the pages before next issue? (sighs) It better be an issue. You don't break his hammer that often. you got to like make it a thing. Right. right. 
And also, it looks like Loki's being punished by putting it into slave labor. So it's like, isn't this over then? I mean, haven't we decided that Loki's the bad guy? Or is Odin still waiting for the Nordstone proof to like, so he knows that Thor's really honest and Loki isn't because he's stupid? Oh, well, and I guess Thor doesn't realize that Loki's being punished right now. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I can't even remember why they had to do the the honesty, you know, test in the first place. Like, Because Loki kidnapped Jane Foster while Thor was fighting the Absorbing Man. Right. He took her to Asgard. Uh-huh. Thor went after him. And just as he got there to fight Loki for kidnapping Jane Foster, Odin shows up and Thor has Jane Foster in his arms. And Loki's like, look. He brought a mortal to Asgard. Oh. And Thor's like, no, he's lying. And Odin's like, I won't trust Loki, except Loki's story seems pretty cool. So Okay, so then they did the they did the whatever it's called, trial. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't prove honesty at all, but that's okay. And Loki dishonestly won the trial, and then he's like, Hey, he was dishonest. And Odin's like, you know, I tend to believe you, even though I just made you go through this trial. So if you can give me proof of the Nordstones. I'll believe you. So that brought him to Vietnam. And then right. somehow from there, he got, oh, he got shot by the hunter and got unconscious. And that hunter turned into the destroyer. So he was just derailed a little bit with his two-parter. And then now mm-hmm. he's back on with, now he has the Nordstones again. And he's going to go theoretically, um, you know, win his honor back. See, there is right? a through line. Yeah, there yeah. you go. I'm just trying to wrap my brain around it because one of the things is like when – if you were just reading these Thor stories in order, that would be one thing. But we like <laughs> reread all these comics in order. So it's like the last time I read Thor was six years ago it seemed like. And well, yeah, I'm trying, and, to, and, trying to remember actually, some of these. We're actually reading them less than a month apart. So and a reader who was reading this as they came out would also have to keep track of things. Now, if you're a 10-year-old kid reading these comics as they come out, you probably read each chapter multiple times. Mm-hmm. You've probably reread the entire narrative multiple times. Mm-hmm. So, you know, figuring out where we are and where we're going is a good thing to do every now and then. Yep. Especially these really long Kirby. He's been doing these with other books, too. These really yeah. long story arcs. It's like, how are we getting here? These Where's Jane Foster? She was this, saved by Balder. That's yeah, where. this issue doesn't mention any of Thor's human life. Nope. There's no or Jane the Foster, one. there's no Don Blake, there's nothing about his mortal life here, which honestly is the direction that Thor is eventually going to start taking. Because <laughs> basically the last time we saw Jane, she was about to be killed by the Executioner, and then Balder showed up in a pimp James Bond suit and stopped them, and then Thor showed up and he's like, sprinkle some forgetful dust on her again and send her home, take her home, would you? And then that was the last we saw of her. So she's become mm-hmm. like this gimmick of just being captured and having no memory of anything that happens to her. Remember how Loki captured her off screen? Yeah, exactly. Like, it doesn't even matter that she's kidnapped anymore. That's just her role in life. Mm -hmm. But anyway, this was pretty cool. This was pretty cool. I do like the Destroyer. Mm -hmm. Um, I can see why they chose him as a visual. He's a really cool visual. Uh It's very simple, but very cool as well at the same time. And I thought the movie realization of him was was killer. Mm Mm-hmm. Not every day Thor fights somebody that, you know, he can't possibly beat. And he owns that here. Like, he just cannot beat this guy. And physically. Odin's like he was made to not be able to beat this guy. Yeah. Um, so, okay. I don't understand the Loki thing. Like, this whole time he's never actually wanted to kill Thor or he never thought it through enough to realize that if Thor dies, Odin's going to be mad and blame him. Like, what? Yeah, that's weird. So, let's see what he actually says. He says... Um, Odin sleeps the sleep of life. No movie. Um, do, 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 do. what was his? Thor must his be saved. Isn't even in this one. For if he dies, Odin will know twas my doing. Only the Norn Queen can help. It's like yes, but is it just because in this particular case he didn't cover his tracks very well? Maybe. Maybe. Like, whereas, whereas other times Odin wouldn't know it was his fault that Thor is dead. Right, because I guess Thor and Loki right now are pitted. W- just mm. directly against each other. Okay, I guess I could buy that one. Like he would just he uh didn't uh scheme enough on this one and he kind of just yeah. awakened He's too the out thing. in the open. He's too obvious. Yeah, it's like who else could have done it but Loki or would have done right. it but Loki? Okay. What that's do you think cool. there was no uh no cover on this one? Well, also I'm wondering if between this and the kind of lackluster annuals they're just like swamped for time for some reason. I don't know. Was Kirby really sick or or uh, I don't know. They had a fire at the the Marvel bullpen, and 
you know, everybody's working out of the garage. I don't know. It's weird. Uh, don't necessarily love it. I hope they don't do it all the time, but I guess it's different. Something. Yeah, I like the we, – we had a panel layout cover for the Sandman issue back in, you know, Amazing Spider-Man 4, but mm-hmm. that was all new art. It was not just, like, grabbing panels from the inside. I guess it's kind of neat to see what you're going to get, I guess, but – Yeah. Eh. Nah. It's weak. I felt no- like there was a weird disconnect with art and words at the beginning. Uh-huh. It totally looks like the Destroyer shoots Thor and has the effect of turning Thor transparent. Yeah, because last issue, it was all about how he could change elements and stuff. And remember, Thor got got sunk into the stone and he couldn't get out. And then the guy's beam was coming closer and closer. And so maybe the original story was, and then I turn you into glass or something. But the dialogue says that something else affects him before the beam reaches him. And that turns out to be Loki. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it necessarily had to have been. No. I do think it's cool that Loki saved him, though. That's hilarious, though. What did you say? Like, not, not to be confused with the the dungeon next door where it, that's totally yeah, escape Yeah, he's in the dungeon of no escape, which is a great yeah. dungeon. It is very different from all the other dungeons of yes escape. <laughs> I just I just picture, like, these guys, the, the inventor going like, look, Odin, I've invented the dungeon of no escape. He's like, no, no, wait, I wanted all the dungeons to be no escape. Right. What, 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 what are the other kinds of dungeons? <laughs> what have the other dungeons been this whole time? Oh my god! Anyway, um, um, I like the 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 feat of strength. I don't know. I never noticed really, but we don't get a lot of that from Thor. Often, like that's kind of a more of a Hulk thing to lift something really heavy over his head and try and crush it on the enemy. He's more of a smacky with a hammer kind of guy. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It was cool to see him lift this like big giant pyramid basically over his head and toss it on the the thing, even though it didn't work. It did not work, but it was pretty cool art. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was kind of silly. There's like, I'm done running, stand your ground and we'll fight. What Thor actually means is you stay right there while I climb up here and get in place to trap you. <laughs> yeah. And then he has to use his brains to like get out of it, which was kind of interesting. Grab the guy. Odin was sort of much to do about nothing. Cause he didn't, he like, like they make this big point of getting the Norn queen to wake him up and stuff, but then he doesn't really do anything. No, he doesn't. He watches Thor and then Thor's, because Thor and the Destroyer are able to work it out. Mm-hmm. Well, the, and the standoff they had is also kind of, you know, weird. Because right. the Destroyer's like, Thor, you got to put down my body or he's going to die. And Thor's like, oh, he's right. I can't kill a human. I've got to put down the body. And we cut away and cut back. And Thor's like, ha ha, you're going to, sh- you won't shoot because you'll kill your body. Yeah. Because like before that, before the cut, the guy's like, have you forgot my mission, Thunder God? I must destroy. No matter what the cost, I must kill. And then the next issue, next when they come back, it's like, oh, I can't do it. Never mind. I wonder if Thor, if Stan like took a writing break um, between yeah. pages eight and ten because I don't think it quite works out. It's probably Steve Ditko's fault, honestly. Steve Ditko's fault. Yeah, everything that we're anything he doesn't like the writing on, we just blame Ditko. That's our <laughs> new thing. <laughs> Ditko but wanted Kirby. it to go that way. I know. But it's Kirby. <laughs> I know. But he never does that to Kirby, does he? Has he ever written a caption yet where it's like, well, Kirby wanted to do this story, so blame yeah. him. Kirby's crazy ideas, you know, we decided you know, let, let's just let's just humor him this time out, guys, okay? I mean, yeah. We know how Jack Kirby is. I think I think Stanley just hates Doctor Strange so bad that when he shows up in a Spider-Man annual, he has to just like disavow having anything to do with it. Like, really, Steve? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Dr. Strange Whatever. again. I'll yeah. sign your paycheck. Um, yep. I feel like the Pfizer design on the Destroyer is counterintuitive. Like, it, Yeah, I don't quite get it either. He lowers his shield over his face <laughs> and then is able to blast through that shield. Yeah, that is weird. Maybe it magnifies his laser or something. Maybe it's a weird magical elemental metal or something. Maybe it's just like Cyclops powers in a faceplate and he has to put it down to work. I don't know. Could be. And then we get this whole business where, again, Thor has sworn to never kill or harm, never harm a human now, which I think that's a little too far. You should be able to harm the humans when they're bad guys, like flick them in the face mm-hmm. or something. But this right. guy's like, you can't even touch me. I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be really bad if they keep using this as an excuse for Thor to just stand there and do nothing. Right, because he needs to be able to stop bad guys. Yeah, he and should he be able does, to just grab the guy. Yeah. He does fight lots of mortals. Uh-huh. Most of them are powered, but not all of them. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't like that one. It's like just this excuse to give him a weakness or something. In fact, there was this old door story. I think they recently reprinted it in an annual about the demon duplicators. Uh-huh. <laughs> God. <laughs> Let's not read that one again. Yeah, um, but it, it had a mortal that he had to get a thump in the head. Yeah, he did. Okay. Loki gets punished for like the first time other than, you know, being banished to his room where he can apparently just do whatever he wants. He's I actually, guess if he's being made to work for the warlock, he won't have time to mess with Thor. Ularic um, sounded familiar to me, but I'm not sure if I was supposed to think that or not. Um, I did not find anything okay. on that guy's name. Okay. So they just made it up. It just sounds like a yeah. generic Norse name, I guess. Alaric with an A in the front is an actual common Germanic name. And it's actually one of the names of Volstag's children. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but Ularic the warlock. No, he is, he is not a person. Not that I could find. But speaking of people who are persons and stories that are related to Norse myth or not, mm-hmm. we have a tale of Asgard. And Volstagg, for that matter, right? Hey, Volstagg, you're right. Yeah. That's an interesting quinky dink. Okay. Um, Gather Warriors. Uh-huh. Written with gallantry by Stan Lee. Drawn with greatness by Jack Kirby. Inked with grandeur by Vince Coletta. And lettered with a straight face by Artie Simic. There's a crack in the Odin's oversword, his um, giant phallus with which he protects Asgard. I mean, <laughs> blade with which he protects Asgard. And um, he's going to send Thor and Loki out in the ship to find what has caused the crack. So Loki has uh, called a bunch of warriors to help crew the vessel and Baldur's checking them off the name list. We've got Hogan the Grim. We have Foundral the Dashing. We have Crota the Duelist. Magrat the Schemer. Um, and Volstag the Enormous, who makes his presence known by fighting a whole bunch of people who, for whatever reason, won't let him through. So he's like, you know, they're climbing all over and trying to stop him from getting on the ship. He's like, you know, have at you, puny scoundrel. Stand aside for Volstag. Um, and he's, you know, trying to beat these people up and Thor shows up, smashes his hammer, knocks everyone down. And Thor's like, Hey, Volstag, you're going to join my ship and follow my commands. Volstag's like, yeah, that's what I'm here for. And, um, well, Thor's like, yeah, you're, you used to be really, you know, famous and mighty, but I think you've had a lot to eat since then. <laughs> of course, Volstag is a rather, you know, rotund individual. Mm-hmm. Um, so they get on the ship, they, they use a, a hook and a crane to hoist Volstag up on the ship. <laughs> Anyways, back in the Imperial Palace, Odin is rather distraught because somebody has graffitied his wall saying Ragnarok is coming. Ragnarok, the day of the last great battle, the day in which it has been written, the gods themselves will perish. So. Well, that's a, that's a plus of being an Olympian, isn't it? They don't have to deal with that nonsense. Right? They just have to deal with Zeus's lewdness. Well, yeah, that's about it. Volstag, so, he's fun. I do like Volstag. He's actually seems to be at least legitimately brave and valorous and ready to fight. Oh in yeah, this. he's one of the Warriors Three. Like they're all good fighters, but well, he, he, just, he he's usually a lot more talk than actual fight. Later, I'm just he's glad to see joke. that he uh, out of the gate is fun. Like. I've never read his first appearance, but I've always thought he was a fun character, and it, and it was great in the story, too. It made me laugh mm-hmm. multiple times. I love that hook, and I love Thor's facial expression when he says, but thou has eaten too well since then. I mean, I don't know. That's just good stuff. Yeah, and seeing him and Fandral and Hogan and knowing that they are the Warriors 3 mm-hmm. immediately draws attention to Crota and Magrat. <laughs> wow. They must be bad guys, huh? Either bad guys are certainly not guys that are going to go anywhere. Right. I mean, because yeah. we, we have the benefit of hindsight. We know these other guys, but we don't well, know these two. I mean, you're right. There is hindsight, so it's hard to separate from that. But it does seem like the Warriors 3 are way more well-designed than these two generic dudes that they slap on in this one panel. Yeah. yeah. So you feel like there's no real intention to keep them interesting for very long. Well, I don't know. 
It reminds me of that Hulk issue where it's like we're introduced to this scientist that we've never heard of before. And yeah, he's the villain, all right. Now, the Warriors 3, of course, is going to become a big thing. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to get that label, the Warriors 3, for quite a long time. They're just going to become a growingly important part of the supporting cast. Um, Hogan the Grim, mm-hmm. I believe, is supposed to be like Mongolian. He looks like or it. Or yeah. something. Yeah. So it's always struck me as kind of odd because, okay, if you were a culture who has gods, mm-hmm. then in theory, at least, your gods are the gods of the entire world. Yes. The fact that other people that, right? have, yeah, other people have very different gods, you know, whatever. Um, so the fact that all of your characters of myth look like you is, you know, it's part of the whole thing where we all create God in our own image. But mm-hmm. then Hogan the Grim represents this like other race of people who are like out there doing their thing. And so it makes me wonder, like, does Asgard have like, East Asian branches of ethnicity and like Hogan is like visiting. I don't, I don't know. It's like, yeah, what's, what's, actually, what, what's behind this? I don't know either. I don't know if they ever fleshed that idea out. I don't know why Kirby thought it'd be a good idea to depart from, you know, his version of Norse, uh, you know, outfits, but yeah, he did. I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's also true that Loki has recruited all of these guys. Which probably also leads credence to the idea that the duelist and the schemer might turn out to actually be bad later. Hello? Uh, hello, uh, hello? Hello? I couldn't hear you for a second there. Oh, you cut out on when you said Loki recruited all these guys, and then I didn't hear anything after that. Okay. So we're at 111. Let me make a note real quick, then we'll go on. Um, so I think, I think that lends credence to the idea that the duelist and the schemer are both bad guys. Or maybe that's also why he's making Hogan the Grim look like a bad guy, just to throw us off the trail or something. That's true, because he is grim, definitely grim. Fandral is pretty, but prettiness can be deceitful. The only he person actually looks actually... kind of jerky, too. Yeah. Yeah, like a, like a bro, a bit too mm-hmm. bro for my bro tastes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is, a, this is a pretty cool, interesting start. We get new characters in our Asgardian pantheon. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first mention of Ragnarok. I have to say that I am enjoying this story arc so far more than anything else we've read when it comes to Tales of Asgard. So hope they keep it going. It's just getting better and better, in my opinion. Yeah, and they're about to go on a quest in their boat, and it's going to go in lots of interesting directions, or at least have some adventure stuff. So uh-huh. I'm looking forward to it. Shall we see what our what our Asgardian advisor has to say. I feel like he's going to say this is all rubbish, but yeah, let's see. So if you're new to the show, we uh, always invite Gene Hendricks to write in some notes on the tales of Asgard. He is, of course, Gene, Gene, the podcasting machine. He is a man of uh, several podcasts, including the Hammer Strikes podcast and the uh, Class of 1000 role-playing game podcast. And he writes, shock of shocks, this isn't a Norse tale. Oh. <laughs> Although there are some Norse roots to the Warriors 3 who all appear here oh. but aren't a team yet. The poetic Edda, the older of the two Eddas, contains the Atlakvida, which translates as the Lay of Atli. Atli was the king of the Huns and is based on Attila the Hun. This is why okay. Hogan looks and dresses like an Asian horseman. Well, there you go. There we go. Volstag, while actually based on Shakespeare's Falstaff, gets his name from the Volsunga saga, which is probably the most famous of the Norse sagas. This is the one that Wagner based his three opera ring cycle on. It's not much, but it's there. Fondral does not even have that tenuous connection, unfortunately. So Fondral, I guess, is whole cloth. Volstag is a name, even though it's not a character. But Hogan the Grim is based on an idea that's actually in the Eddas. Okay. That's he funny. Says, the one guy who seems out of place is the one who is based on an idea. Right? That's yeah. kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you can guess that Crota the Duelist and Magrath the Schemer aren't in the lore at all. Oh, man. I thought that cyborg eye was really going to date back to 1000 CE. <laughs> Pretty sure this guy's the first Borg. Oh, yeah. He looks yeah. like Hugh. Yeah. Ragnarok is going to come up a lot in the comics, and it seems like they always get it wrong. One of the major things that everyone seems to forget is that the actual Twilight of the Gods is supposed to be Fimblevinter, 
which is three winters without an intervening summer. So the Earth has to have three years of winter before Ragnarok happens, and it never does in the comics. The closest we get is the opening of the Casket of Ancient Winters in Simonson's run, and that's only around for a few days. So Why, did, why does Earth have to have the winters? We're not, we don't want to worry about Ragnarok. I don't know, but I guess if Earth does have three years of winter without a summer, that means the gods are about to die. We know what's we know what's coming. You know, we might actually have the winters without a summer if we keep on destroying the world. <laughs> yeah, maybe this is all real. Maybe, maybe. But yeah, so that's Journey into Mystery one hundred nineteen. <sighs> all right, so two Thors and a Spidey. Yeah, and our month is kicked off. So we will be back next week. And what are we going to cover next week? Oh gosh, that's a uh-huh. very good question. I called you on it. I've got it here if you want me to say it. Yeah, why don't you just say it? Because I don't have it here. Tales to Astonish 71, Daredevil 9, and Sergeant Fury 21. Ooh. All right. So be reading up those. And um, let's see. Have we gotten some followers over on Twitter? You know, I'll just say that for next time because I don't have that handy. So okay. we'll, we'll send our thank yous on Twitter next time. Where can they? Uh, where can they find us? MakeOursMarvel.com has all the links you need to all the apps and the, you know, show and the social medias like Facebook and Twitter, which if you like us there, we'll read your name on the air. So get to doing that. And also that will keep you up to date, obviously. Um, or just search Make Ours Marvel in your favorite podcast playing app and hopefully we show up. You can also write us podcast at MakeOursMarvel.com. We swear at some point we will be doing another mailbag episode. Either we have already or we're going to soon. Yeah, I think we're going to record one maybe next week or so. So it means right. it's already been out there when you hear us say we hope to do yeah. one soon. Wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Right. Um, I can be found on Twitter at John Reads Comics. I have other stuff I do. The Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast at TFUK podcast. The All the Pouches and Image Comics podcast at All the Pouches. The Scarlet Witch tweet blog, Let's Talk Wanda at Let's Talk Wanda. And um, yeah, so definitely go check me out there. Um, follow me, follow the shows, follow Mike talking about Batman and retweeting other stuff. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think that does wrap up our episode. Should I say goodbye, Gracie? Bye, Gracie. So until next time, or until Hercules dates the Black Widow, make ours marvel. marvel.